to Revolution Church Minneapolis. This is our first ever um, live stream here. Um, as many of you know, I'll just kind of go over um, some new things. So Jay and Caleb are in the midst of moving out to um, Seattle. Um, they're loading up today. Um, as many of you know who have followed Jay and Caleb with Revolution Church MN, uh, I've talked with our transition team that we put up here at Revolution, and we're going to change our name to Revolution Church Minneapolis. So that's why if you've seen on our social media accounts on Facebook, um, the group I started, and on our Instagram, uh, we started uh, we started doing that as like a new rebrand. Um, I made like a little teaser video yesterday about it. And um, we're also, I'm in the talks of continuing meeting at Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. Um, we're just, you know, talking about the proper safety precautions that we're doing um, that are in place. So I know for the online listeners, that's not going to mean as much, but to um, the local physical congregants, I know that that's going to be some exciting news because we're wanting to um, see everyone there um, and it's going to be great. Even when we are there um, at Bryant Lake Bowl, we're still going to do Facebook Live so people can see us there live. And yeah, so we're going to try to make this as seamless as possible. Um, we're probably either going to start the two start dates of being at Bryant Lake Bowl or either December 1st or um January 1st at the beginning of the year. And I will say um, we're probably changing the time um, from 11 o'clock Central Standard Time probably till later on in the afternoon just because Bryant Lake Bowl has some some other th events going on at the time that we normally have it. So that's all up in the air. Um, I understand that might be inconvenient to some people, uh, but we we shall see. So I think we have everything up technologically um, I had to talk to Caleb a lot to see, um, how to kind of, how kind of to go through all this stuff. So if not, everything's up to, um, snuff, I apologize. We'll probably get better here in the next couple of weeks. But so, um, thank you to everyone who's tuning in. I want to say a shout out to Curtis, who is off camera, but who's part of the Revolution Church community. He's going to be at the end, reading any comments that people have written in or questions after this talk that I give. And I am not actually recording in my house. We're over at our friend Josh and Angela's. Um, and behind me, you can see all the cool uh, toys they have. It's I'm not going to lie. It's like a toy museum in their house. And I love it. So I want to say thank you to Josh and Angela for letting us use their house. We might be here. Um, the only reason we're here, not my house, is I have a three-year-old daughter and a cat, and my three-year-old daughter and cat like to jump up on my lap and get all my attention. So we did not think that would be maybe as conducive um, for our first episode or our first stream. But uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, the talk I want to give today is really meaningful to me. Um, a lot of people know that I grew up in an evangelical background, um, some is a God a lot like Jay, and uh, I'm clearly not that anymore. But um, the the name of this talk is called Escapist Faith. Um, and how I came up with it, there is a quote that I heard on Facebook. I should I guess I didn't hear it. I read it on Facebook. 
And it really haunted me and it haunted me in a very good way. And the, the quote is from, I think it was actually from Twitter and then they somehow um, merged it into Facebook, but um, shout out to Caleb in the end times, not Caleb that we know, but a different Caleb. And the quote that he has, what I want to kind of focus the talk on today is, and I'm going to not just focus on that, but that's going to kind of be the central theme, I guess, thesis of, of this talk. Um, and it's really, I think it's top notch. So here it is. This is from Caleb in the end times. I'm not a Christian because a reward in heaven. I'm not a Christian because of, I'm not a Christian running from hell. I'm a Christian because the character of Jesus is so compelling. To me, that's what I want to spend my life chasing, embodying it and sharing it. And I thought that quote was really poignant for so many reasons. Um, in a lot of churches and in a lot of denominations and just the way a lot of people are raised, um, there's this eternal reward or eternal damnation that one has at the end of their life. Um, obviously, a lot of people who are Christians, I'm not not painting a broad stroke, but I think a lot of people who are Christians have this um, desire to be a Christian because as my kind of what I like to say, it's a get out of hell free card. Um, there's certain denominations that will say, once saved, always saved. You know, I know a lot of Baptist traditions do that, that you make this salvific, uh, you know, prayer in your life. And there you go. That's, that's it. It's your stamped ticket to heaven. Um, but I can say that growing up myself in the church, um, I always had this mentality that uh, when I was reading scripture or when I heard, you know, a youth pastor talk or when I heard the pastor talk that, I had this eternal reward in heaven at the end, at the end of my life, when I die, you know, I'm going to, my, I'm going to die. My soul's going to go to heaven. And, you know, the whole adage, like, you know, if, why should God let you into heaven? God's going to answer the question, why should I let, let you in here? And you're going to say, well, I'm a good person. I, you know, you know, ask you into my life, blah, 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 blah. And I can even now, um, say that that never sat, sat well with me, just in my heart, just in my mind. And and on the flip side of the whole aspect on hell, um, never really sat well with me. And I, and I've, if people have heard me talk before and even friends, I don't really believe, well, not really, I don't believe in a literal hell um, at all. I just don't, I theologically think it's there. I don't think that there's enough, um, scholarly resources to say that there really is a hell. I think it's a, a, a Christianized way of saying you didn't believe in, in Jesus the way we want you to believe in Jesus. So you're going to go to this fiery place um, in hell, whatever. And it's not a conversation I'm going to have here. We could always talk and have another conversation about hell, but yeah. So with that quote, which I thought was really, really interesting is um, what really made me kind of gravitate towards it was if you look at it is that Caleb in the end times was saying, it's not so much about the end goal of heaven and or hell. There's those two, that's kind of like within Christianity, people look at it as, 
well, you're either going to go to hell or you're either going to go to heaven. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. But what I, what I want to focus on is living here in the now, in the present. Whether you're listening, you're part of the revolution family or not, um, just I would, I would say to you, just live in the present. Live in the now. Um, if you are a Christian, don't, don't worry if you have the right theology. Don't worry if your dogma lines up. You know, if you're part of a church community that doesn't accept you um, for those views, maybe that's not the right community. Maybe it is. But if you're a part of any community and they don't accept your views um, on, on any of this, then maybe find a new community. However, my, the way I look at um, myself, yes, I am a Christian. Um, I don't shy away from that, that, you know, that um, descriptor for me. Um, but I am, I have to always preface that I'm not like most Christians that you meet. I have my theologies all over the place. I don't really hold my theology tightly. It's very loose. Um, I don't really, uh, care. You know, I, I don't mind getting into theological, com- uh, conversations. I don't like to get in debates. I don't like to get into fights with people. So if people ever hit me up and try to get into this big, theological fight or debate, then that's just not going to happen. Um, and what I really, when I tell people uh, who have any frustrations or is- issues with, um, you know, with, with Jesus or with the church, a lot of times I'll say, I don't know if it's necessarily Jesus per se that one has an issue with, or one has their disgruntledness towards it's the church It's the institutionalized church. And I, in many ways, have issues with the institutionalized church. I grew up in the Pentecostal church that had their institutionalized, you know, mumbo jumbo. I jumped into the Baptist tradition for a number of years. And then most recently, I went to the United Church of Christ, which I do love the UCC. Shout out to them. However, was going towards ordination with them. And for many different reasons, it just kind of fizzled out. Um, and that's a story for another time. Um, I don't have ill will towards them. However, I think just the understanding and the idea of institutionalized Christianity um, frustrates a lot of people and it hurts a lot of people. And I always tell people there's so many people in the world that maybe have this affinity, maybe have this uh, soft spot in their heart for the message and the teachings of Jesus but they just can't bring themselves to go to church. And I'll say church isn't going into a nice, you know, beautiful sanctuary, stained glass, you know, any of that. It's not going into a big church that looks like you're going to go to a rock concert. Church is, is where people are together, where communities together, where you break bread and it's not having to be the, you know, the blood and, the, or the wine of Jesus and, you know, the bread, it can be having a beer and having a burger. It could be, you know, having a salad and a glass of wine. It's, it's just having community with one another. Um, and that's really what I think when you look at a lot of the teachings of Jesus is, you know what? Love one another. Be kind. Care about one another. We're all in this thing called life together. And that's really what it's about. And I would contend to most people and say, Scriptures are very clear to say you, you no one should worry about 
what tomorrow brings because no one knows what tomorrow's going to bring. We don't know if tomorrow's even going to be here. We don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. So just for the love of God, live in the present, be here in the present and, and just live with it. Um, I'm going to have a, a, a shout out to Rob Bell, who I know doesn't listen to us, but his last book called Everything is Spiritual was just uh, a gut punch in a good way. Um, and in this book, he was that's his whole kind of thesis is everything is connected. We're all connected to one another as humans, but even in the world, we're connected to it because we're all made of atoms and neutrons and everything. But the one thing he kept stressing throughout this whole book was living here in the now, living in the present, because if you can't live in the now and the presence and see the beauty that's happening around you, then you're going to miss so many beautiful and wonderful things. And I really when after reading that, my whole mindset switched because um, a lot of times I will look and say, oh, gosh, this, you know, this tsunami happened or, you know, there might have been some incident that happened in my life that causes me to just be like, oh, this world sucks. It's evil, you know, blah, 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 which I'm not denying that that stuff's not evident. There's there's terrible evil things that happen, but there's a lot of those things we can't control in our day to day lives. They just happen. But the one thing Rob says, which I agree with him so much, is, you know, be here in the now, be in the presence, because if you don't, then life's going to get so overwhelming. You're going to get so filled of anxiety that you can't even appreciate it. And one thing that he said, which really made me, you know, say yes, yes, is he lives out in L.A. with his family. And Rob loves um, to go out into the ocean and surf. He loves just one of his hobbies. And he said the one thing, he goes out every morning, and the one thing that he does is he'll just paddle out on his surfboard, kind of just sit there be waiting for the waves. And he'll say he'll see all the fish, you know, going around him. He'll see some dolphins out in the distance. And he just looks at this vast, beautiful ocean. And he was like, this is it. I'm here in the presence. I'm, I'm, I'm here connecting with us all around me. And for myself, um, that place for me, a lot of, you know, obviously we're in Minnesota, Minneapolis, but, um, two hours North of the twin cities is a, is a town called Duluth, which is right on the, the, um, Southern Southwestern tip of Lake Superior, the biggest great lakes in, in North America. And I grew up going there on family vacations with my brother and my mom and dad. And it always, even as a young age made me, um, feel this, I don't know, is feel this, this connectedness to to the divine connected to nature and i was just up there twice this summer obviously social distancing and and everything and the last time i went up there with my wife without my daughter and i remember just you know there's a lot of places um where you can just like walk out into the water um not on any of the beaches but you can just go out on the rocks and i took my sandals off and i just probably stood in two or three inches of that lake superior water it's very ice cold, but I was standing in there and I was just looking out at the vast distance of the water and where the water meets the sky and you see the clouds. And I actually got emotional. And and it was after reading that book that I went up there and I remember just standing out there and saying, this is this is it. I'm I'm being connected. I'm in this connectedness. To me, I found felt this connectedness, connectedness to the divine and whatever that maybe for you but that was for me that's there's a 
thing called the thin place where that thin place is that little thin part of, of reality and thing that connects you to, to the divine. And I've actually said to my own family and friends, I don't really find that thin place in a church going into an institutionalized church. I find it with family. I find it with friends over a good drink, but I also find it when I'm out in nature, when I'm looking, when I'm standing in Lake Superior and I'm seeing the gloriousness of that and just the vastness of it. Um, and, but knowing even in that vastness of Lake Superior that I'm connected with, with, um, with it. So that with me, a little bit with that, um, of I'm not worried about heaven, hell. I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm not going to, uh, worry about that. Um, I would say my big push for you is not to think about that either. Just live here in the presence, live here in the now for, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring us because we don't, but just go out to, you know, today, tomorrow, whenever, and take a walk. You know, the weather's changing in most places of the world. Go look out at the trees changing when it snows. If you live in a place where it snows, Look at the beauty of the snow and what it does for for nature and what it does for us. And it's just wonderful and beautiful. And don't worry about theology. Worry of just being in the present and engaging in the present. One thing I wanted to talk about, too, I would be remiss to say, um, is I entitled this talk, Escapist Faith. And I want to circle back to that escapist faith. And I think the part I want to say with with that, I want to just kind of talk a little bit um, on how it changed for me over my life. And the buzzword within a lot of conversations, a lot of podcasts, a lot of books that people are writing is the word deconstruction. And I'm not going to give the, you know, Webster's Dictionary or, you know, the kind of pop culture definition of it. But um, I deconstructed um, a preset held of beliefs that I had growing up um, uh, I, I guess it would say a more conservative theology. Um, and so one thing talking of like with me growing up in an evangelical denomination is we believed, you know, in a thing called rapture, which, um, uh, hot take, there is no such thing as the, um, rapture that is not biblical. It doesn't say anything in scripture about rapture or anything like that. Um, but I honestly was raised in a tradition that said, you know, in it, anybody who knows me knows that I love movies. I love whether it's horror, action packed, whatever. But when you sit back and think about it, um, when you talk about the end times and things like that, it actually plays out more of like a post apocalyptic movie or a novel where you sit back and you're like, people really believe in this. And I know for me, I, I believe that hook, line, and sinker probably for 10, 15 years. And I got, when I, I started deconstructing it all the way back when I was uh, a senior in high school. And I'm 37 years old right now, so it tells you a good chunk of my life I haven't really believed in in the end times and any of that stuff. Because when I'm really truthful with myself, and, and that's the thing I want to say, there's a lot of people who ask questions when they're young teenagers, young adults but they never fully come to terms with that. They're like, Oh, my mom or my dad's going to get mad. My pastor's going to get mad. My grandparents are going to get mad. And they always hold on to like, I can't change this view because 
it's going to cause people in my life to get mad at me or to shun me. But I would say don't hold on to that theology or to those thought processes if you know that's going to hurt yourself, if you know that you can't be fully free on who you are. I've had tough conversations with family and friends that are like, you really don't believe that, Brian, do you? You don't really believe that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I actually do. And it's taken me a long, long time to get there. But I, you know, I grew up saying, you know, believing that, you know, Jesus was going to come down and quote unquote rapture his church. All the other people who were down here aren't Christians, aren't the chosen people. Then the Antichrist um, who's going to come down and, you know, rule over this earth, which would be the, it was this term called the premillennial reign of Christ. Uh, And so like the devil would be down here and the antichrist would be down here kind of wreaking havoc. And then, then Christ would come down and reign for a thousand years and almost like a double rapture. And I believed all that kind of stuff. And I could go on and on and on about that. Um, But I don't think I will, but it's a lot of this stuff, this escapist faith, where I feel like a lot of us want to um, try to have, there's this phrase that you learn when you're in seminary, and it's called orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right belief, and orthopraxy is right living. And I think so many people in the church get caught up with the orthodoxy where they're like, I have to have this right doctrine. I have to have this right doctrine. If I don't have this right theological formula, then I'm going to hell or I'm, you know, whatever. But I would say it's more important to have orthopraxy. It's having this right living. You know, I tell people, like, if you are a Christian, you go to scripture, it says, you know, it even says in the gospel of Matthew, don't have any other gods before me. And other than that, the greatest command is to love one another as I loved you. And that to me just reverberates. And it even says in that scripture in Matthew that this transcends anything that was said in the prophets. So this transcends anything that was even talked about in the Old Testament is love your friends, love, love, you know, everyone. And I know we're. In a contentious time, at least here in America, I know not everyone that listens is from America, but, you know, we're in a political election, elections in a few days here in the States. We know a lot of people who lean different ways, and that's fine, but it's kind of hard to love your enemies when, um, or to love everyone, even if some of those people are your enemies who might vote for, for a different person than you, you want to. But, um with that escapist faith, um, really just don't don't believe in God if you are someone who believes in God. Don't believe in God for your end goal is heaven, or don't push it down other people's throats. Deconstruct if you need to. Reach out to people that are close to you. Reach out to people that you trust, and um, it's it's not always easy, um, and. I and it's not something that um, it's going to happen overnight. It's going to be something that's a it's a prolonged progress, um, and it's something that's going to take time. The one thing I wanted to read, I would be remiss to not do this. Um, 
as many of you know, Jay Baker is really good friends with uh, Pete Rollins, and Pete Rollins is a amazing philosopher, and he has a book called um, The Orthodox Heretic and Other Impossible Tales. And I'm not going to read the whole thing for the sake of time, and so people aren't bored, or me looking down and reading out of this text. But what what uh, Pete does is he'll take parables, some of them out of Scripture, and then some not necessarily out of Scripture. He might take a theme out of Scripture and write a parable. And we know that the parables aren't necessarily true, but they're uh, a good conversation. But this particular one that he talked about was called Being the Resurrection. And... I'll, he, what he does in every parable is he'll read, he'll write a parable and kind of just leave it almost like drop a mic moment. And then he'll pick up in the written part called the commentary. So what does that parable mean? How does that, how is that sticking out? What should we gather from it? And I'm going to, I'm going to read the end part of it in the commentary. You don't really necessarily need to know what the story is about. Um, but he kind of gives this cool flip, flipping the narrative of what resurrection is. Because many of us have been told and taught when we deal with resurrection that you need to believe that Jesus really died. It's this atonement theory thing that I know Jay has talked about before. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard in churches, if you brought brought up in the church, about the atonement. Like Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins and you know, the ransom theory, the justification theory, all these things. But Pete does a really good a way of, of flipping this. So I'm going to read this to you. So if I'm reading down off of a text. So if you see the top of my head, I apologize. But uh, let these words hit you. They're really good. While the community described above knew nothing about the literal resurrection, there is a sense in which they affirmed the reality of the resurrection in a more radical way than many of those who confess such a belief in a literal resurrection. The reason for this relates to the fact that for many today, belief in the resurrection simply acts as a guarantee of eternal life and cosmic meaning. In this way, the belief itself is divorced from action and acts as nothing more than, an, than a divine insurance policy. In contrast, this tale asks whether resurrection is fundamentally something that is lived and does not depend on one's subjective belief. In order to explore this theme, the story creates a type of prolonged Holy Saturday experience, which is that time in between Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday. In this liminal space between witnessing the crucifixion and hearing the resurrection, the members of the community that was described in this story has given themselves wholly to the teachings of Jesus. In this way, they follow him without thought of some future reward, and thus they follow him in a truly sacrificial way. It is in this dedicated commitment to Christ that one can say that the resurrection is truly made manifest. For while there is no intellectual affirmation of Christ's living presence, there is an incarnated testimony to this presence. Here Jesus is testified to as a present in the life and actions of the community. This affirmation is not wrapped up in some abstract belief. It is testified to in the texture of their lives. Not only does this cause us to rethink the necessity of believing in a resurrection, 
it can actually cause us to wonder whether this belief could sometimes act as a barrier to really affirming its reality. As mentioned above, it is not uncommon to find people within the church who believe for self-interested reasons, for example, affirming Christianity out of a desire to enter heaven. And I, I think that really encapsulated well this kind of escapist faith, how people are like, I have to believe in these core doctrines. Like, I know I've heard when I first started reading people who started questioning the resurrection as a literal factual thing, I remember them being like, oh, my gosh, I would not want to be them at the end of, you know, reality at the end of their life because then they're going to go to hell. And I did legitimately think that um, later on or earlier on in my, my faith walk. But then as I got older and I deconstructed a lot of these pre-held notions and, and ways of thinking, I, I was mortified at myself for, for thinking, um, for thinking this. And I, this, this book that I read out of Peter Rollins' book, this was written about 11 years ago. And I remember that was in the heart of my deconstruction when I read it, but I remember reading it and being like, oh my gosh, this is just like this explosion in my head where I'm like, it's not necessarily about the resurrection. And, and so many people look at the resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus as this is the central part of my faith. This is the crux of my faith. And I think Pete does a really good job of saying, is what I read in there is, is this just a divine insurance policy for people? They believe it because they're like, well, Jesus did this. So I want, you know, I, I need to believe it because then it gets me out of out of hell. And Pete is saying, should you really believe in it that way? Should you really look at that as this is the central core of my faith? Or should you look at the teachings of Jesus as a good way to live your life, a good way to treat others? Not not pushing things down people's throats, saying, believe this way, believe that way, believe this way, believe that way. But just out of this, out of this thing of love, out of loving one another. Um, so... I'm going to leave you with that. I know this talk's a little bit shorter than usual. I highly recommend The Orthodox Heretic. I know if anybody out there who listens to Sacred Collective is on the co-host of that. I've read a couple of these parables, and I've read this parable. Um, but really, at the end of the day, what I want you to get from this talk, our first one for Revolution Minneapolis, and I'll apologize if I'm a little over the place. I uh, have a as anybody can tell with us who get up here and speak, we have a lot of things on our minds and sometimes they don't always uh, come out and communicate in the perfect seamless way. But you know what? Practice makes perfect um, and time will get better at us doing all this stuff. So I appreciate this. Um, you guys tuning in. Um, we couldn't do this without you. We appreciate this. I know um, we're going to be hopefully in the next few weeks to a month, we're going to be working on a new website, and Curtis is going to help me look into that. Um, <clears throat> we're also going to get a new stream for the Revolution Church Minneapolis, so we're not going to share uh, Revolution, the one that Jay and Caleb does, just because with Meet Your Congregation that they do and their sermons, and then if we had our sermon coming out, that would be just way too much, um, Three over three or four episodes per week coming out. So we're going to do our own. I'm, I'm emailing with our, our um, host 
podcast company um, on some financials and how to do that. So this one won't be up on um, on a podcast stream for at least probably another month. We'll backlog them and have them come out. But if you are watching this live, thank you. And obviously, as soon as we end this, probably within 20 minutes, it will be up. Um, so, yeah, um, escape is faith. Um, be out there. Um, don't don't have escape is faith. Some of you might. I think I'm preaching to the choir that a lot of us probably don't have this theology that I've talked about. But um, deconstruction is not an easy thing. Um, but I think at the end, you will find yourself a more freeing person. You won't feel this weight uh, on your shoulders. And, and yeah, so I think what we're going to do, the one thing that we're going to do that um, Revolution does, um, Revolution now, I would say Revolution Seattle, but um, I want to see if anybody wrote any comments. If they didn't, we won't say anything we'll wrap it up but i want to ask kurt curtis if he um if anybody's written anything and i'll try to answer any questions or thoughts or what anybody says yeah maybe yeah maybe come over here so you just talk so we only have one microphone compared to two or three yeah so there were a couple of different comments uh one of which is uh from caleb uh, Hello, Caleb. Caleb Rowe, not the Caleb we quoted at the beginning, uh, saying that one way that he felt discouraged uh, from staying in the now is through twisted misunderstandings of verses like don't store up treasures on earth but in heaven and other things that were in basic instructions before leaving earth. The acronym uh, for the Bible? Yeah, Bible. Um, which I assume it's a book or a talk, a no. series of talks, or what is basic instructions before the book? Well, that's just an acronym that a lot of conservative, like Christians, would would have is they would, you know, everything in the church is acronyms. And so the basic instructions before leaving earth is just an acronym for Bible. Got it. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, it speaks to the concept that we're just waiting to leave this life to go to Right, which is supposedly more important. Yeah, and and I'll say to that, and it's that's one thing I had to personally myself just chisel away. Is I did not. I I feel like if you believe that way, the way most of the church has taught is you know like we're here. I mean, and rest in peace to my father, but my dad would always push into me like every morning he would get up, read read the Bible, have a cup of coffee, but he would tell me almost every day you know what, Brian, this world's not our home. This is just a pit stop in life. You know, we're all going to, you know, if you believe in Jesus, we're all going to go to heaven. And those who don't are going to go to hell. And even as a teenager, that never sat right with me. And I was like, but dad, there's so much beauty in this world. There's, you know, the connectedness of humans together and friendships and marriages and families and kids, all this stuff. And, and it was hard just to, and it's not me that's just saying this. There's tons of you know, whether Christians or not Christians, of people just saying, try to be in this presence. It's hard to be in the presence, but if you don't and you let everything else just eat away at you, almost like this wound that's, you know, or like using like a, a gangrene, how that slowly comes up and like takes over like your leg or your arm, it, uh, you know, it, it's hard to, to differentiate and, and, 
be here in the presence, be here in the now as much as we can. I'm not saying it's this easy formulaic answer that I can give, but just try to carve out some time every day to just be present to whether that's through meditation, whether that's through prayer, whether that's whatever you do, just try to be in the presence in the here and now, um, or else we can just get caught up in the the murkiness of life. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Caleb, for yeah, so saying that. Out. Someone said they couldn't hear me that well. Thanks for the feedback there. I'll get closer to the mic here. Um, so someone else, uh, Kate, said that uh, they feel like this focus on the past and the future creates a culture of busyness and doing, which has taken a long time to unlearn um, after the fact. And additionally, uh, someone named Ray commented that uh, their evangelical background has distracted from the now. And there's two areas of focus that did that. Um, forgiveness for supposed past sins, uh, as well as a longing for the second coming, or heaven in the future. And neither was focused on the now. And even testimony giving uh, focused on personal events that were in the past um, about how you used to have a sinful life and then you had this point of redemption and even the point of redemption was in the past mm-hmm. and so there's very much of a past focus uh, in the church mm-hmm. and it's nice in, in my pers- this is my personal opinion it's nice to have a church that doesn't have that sort of uh, past or future emphasis and is able to focus on that yeah, and thanks for the comments, everyone. Thanks for interacting. Um, yeah, I mean, I know personally for me that I feel like the evangelical church does focus on the past. They focus on the past of this is what Jesus did, or this is the teachings of what Jesus did, and now it's this future end goal, end times, whatever you want to say it. And it takes a lot to unlearn that. It takes a lot to be in the presence, the here and the now. And I'm just speaking from my gut, from my heart, from saying, and for what we're going to try to do at Revolution is, there's going to be some conversations that I have that might piss you off. I will, won't apologize for that because sometimes we need to be uncomfortable. There's going to be conversations that you guys might love and just you want to say awesome way to go. But a lot of conversations, and as a pastor, I would be remiss to say that we, I'm going to say everything that makes everyone happy or tickle the ears. There's going to be some times where these conversations might make someone have to sit back and be like, hey, I didn't really want to think about this today. Or I, I didn't, you know, this is bringing up some some thoughts that I thought I've stored away for a while. And I don't, I don't ever want to bring people's past up and make them have any sort of anxiety or frustration. And I apologize right off the top of my head if that is something that I've caused anyone to do. But um as like I'm just going to say it again, um, digging through that the muck and the dirt and the grime that we've learned and have to unlearn, you say deconstruction, say to relearn in a different way is hard. It is hard, hard, hard work. It's taken me years to get into the point of my own faith, the, my own belief in Jesus, the way I believe in it. It's taken years and years talking to countless pastors, counseling therapists that have gotten me to where I'm at in my own, you know, walk of, of just life. And I'm going to say walk with Jesus, but just walk in general in life. Um, so yeah. Um, do we have any other 
Um, we don't have any other comments, but I have something to say. Yeah, Curtis, go ahead. Get, get, get closer to the mic. Side, okay. I'm not trying to jump on your street. No, here. go for it. It's right, my um, part. So I guess I wanted to say real quick that in some ways this seems like a, maybe a message that doesn't seem very Christian. Like perhaps people that are familiar with Buddhism would be like, man, this sounds like people are spitting some Buddhist theology over here. Uh, because there is a big focus on the present moment, like being in the now, um, not being attached to uh, things in the past or striving towards attainments in the future. Um, and perhaps there are some parallels, but I just quickly wanted to say that there is a thread within Christianity about apocalypse that mm-hmm. definitely focuses on the here and now. And if there's too much, if your theology is too focused on stories that happen during biblical times or stories about what's supposedly going to happen in the end times or future events, um, there's less of a focus in, in those sort of narratives on the present and how important it is to be focused on uh, your own situation, the people around you. Um, banding together with communities to try to uh, change the direction of history. And um, I feel like by participating in these sort of stories and narratives, we can have an influence on what future generations think of uh, of what Christianity is. And in, in some ways in that, uh, we can affect the future. And so we can... Um, we can have a lot bigger influence, I think, on the world than we think that we can if we are constantly focused on the past or the future. And it's a good and healthy thing, and it's within our tradition through the concepts of apocalypse uh, to be thinking in this way. And so I don't think it's against Christian values to talk about this stuff. And mm-hmm. Buddhism doesn't have a monopoly on these sort of concepts. Well, thank you, Curtis. Yeah, that was really good. And uh, as I was, I was actually kind of thinking some of that same stuff that you said. This sounds more like Buddhist thought of being in the presence, being in the now. But you know, and I've been influenced. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a Buddhist by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I have been influenced by Buddhist thought. Um, rather, just reading books on my own about Buddhist thought, and um, or just you know lo- looking at some of their their texts, their holy texts. And um, there actually is a text out, uh, I don't know how long ago it came out, um, but it's actually like like Buddha said, Jesus said, or I don't know if that's the, the right uh, title of the book, but it's more or less looking at a lot of the sayings of the Buddha and a lot of the sayings of Jesus aren't the same, but they mirror themselves, <clears throat> excuse me, quite similarly. And I think that that's fascinating. And yeah, uh, Curtis, I think this maybe necessarily wasn't per se the, a Christian talk, which is fine. Um, it, you know, yes, it's our, our name is Revolution Church Minneapolis, but you know what? Well, maybe we're going to throw some Buddhism um, in there for, for you guys to, to chew on that, too. But I don't know. I have nothing else left to say. Is there any more comments or anything? Um, I know some people have waved and said hi throughout that. Um, and so hello to any of you who've done that. Um, so this was our first first Sunday. As I said, please give us grace for doing this. Um, 
I'm excited to be the new pastor of Revolution Church in Minneapolis. Um, and I would say just stay tuned for on our Instagram or on this Revolution Church um, Minneapolis page um, for any updates and and things like that. So we will be back next week, uh, November 8th, um, same time at 11 a.m. Um, and I will, like I said, keep every, everyone updated to when we are going to, at least for the physical congregation meet at Bryant Lake Bowl. I will say, to, uh, we'll still have it set up here on my computer and stuff um, of live streaming so you guys can be a part of that too because we value everyone who um, can't be there in person, but we want you to be able to be there and have conversations and ask comments through um, the Facebook channel. So um, I guess till next time, thanks everyone so much for tuning in for this first first ever Revolution Church Minneapolis talk. And we hope to see you guys next week and stay safe and um, be good to one another, people. All right. Bye.
This is a post 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 Christian podcast. Post 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 Christian podcast. Post post. This is a post Christian podcast.